Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The only daily Premier League podcast. This is Football Social Daily. Hello and welcome along to Sunday night's edition of the Football Social Daily. Despite a reduced schedule this weekend, we still have seven games on the agenda with talking points at the top and bottom of the Premier League table. Six of the best was enough for Spurs as Song Hyung Min burst into life away at Leicester. But if Son is spending his Sunday on cloud nine, Brendan Rodgers is at rock bottom the Foxes head coach finds himself staring down the barrel as we move into the international break elsewhere over the weekend the impressive continues to be the mundane for Erling Haaland Manchester City cruising past Wolves and there was crucial wins for former England teammates Steven Gerrard and Frank Lampard a first win of the season for Everton so let's get cracking my name's Fergal Brennan and despite the cancellations we have two cancel proof characters on tonight <laughs> freelance football writer Pete Hall you'll never be cancelled will you Pete no never never bring me down never 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 uh, and also cancel proof but maybe not as bullish about it as Pete we also have the independence northern football writer Mark Critchley we hope that you'll never get cancelled Mark uh, yeah I'd hope so too but you know let's not let's just touch wood not count any chickens okay <laughs> indeed indeed uh, yeah I think that's very very true at the moment given the actual cancellations going on in Premier League football right we're going to kick off with Spurs against Leicester Pete 6-2 to Spurs at the uh, Tottenham Hotspur stadium the big story at the end of the game was focused on two people Brendan Rodgers and Song Hyung Min so we're going to start on a positive and that is Song Hyung Min a second half hat-trick three goals inside 13 minutes Harry Kane Rodrigo Bentancourt also on target and Eric Dyer celebrating his return to the England squad two goals for Leicester Yuri Tielemans and James Madison but ultimately not enough Song Hyung Min I'm not going to dare to question Song Hyung Min to ask did he have doubters to answer but given the business that Tottenham have done this summer Richarlison's come in Ivan Perez has just come in there's a halo that surrounds Harry Kane there was a little bit of doubt surrounding Song Hyung Min and his enduring place he's absolutely destroyed any chance of that now yeah and, and excellent management excellent management from from Conte to um he he knew that you know he knew that he was struggling, but gave him plenty of time to come on and and you know restart his season and really give him this give himself the boost that he needed. And Spurs have got such a a strong squad now, like they had a good transfer window. They've got other options, which is something they didn't have last season. Um, you know they, they were they were ever so reliant on Harry Kane and 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 Son's partnership. Now that they've got options, he's not nobody's a guarantee apart from Harry Kane. Nobody's a Harry. Nobody's a, a guaranteed starter now but um, it's, it was a mark of the man really to come on and do that um, first Tottenham player ever to score a Premier League hat trick off the bench um, great goals as well um, it wasn't you know not the best defending but um, 
yeah, I, I think he's probably one of the most underrated players in the in the Premier League. Although I think I've heard that so many times today that perhaps he's not. Um, that he um, he's, he is world class. There there are there are Spurs have got two world class forwards now um, up up front um, with plenty of other options around them, which is which puts them in a really strong position to be you know especially given Liverpool's start to be a proper title challenger this season. Looking at the business and obviously the existing players within that Spurs squad, you've got Harry Kane who's climbing up through the Premier League goal list, Mark, and Richarlison's come in for big money. Perisic obviously is, is a bit more of an experienced option, but Song Hyo Min, for me, is Spurs' most important player. Harry Kane will always get a huge amount of attention and there's talent right the way through the team and Antonio Conte himself is, is a bit of a star on the bench. But Song Hyo Min constantly pulls Spurs out of situations and he does it with massive, massive style. Yeah, I think, um, look, it, it's, it feels weird to say that, that he's the most important player when he almost hasn't really turned up until this weekend, this season, and yet they were still second, they were still unbeaten. But if you think about just the way that Kane's role has changed over the last few seasons, he's obviously the whole dropping deeper thing and being more creative. Um, this has really become kind of a team that's spearheaded by Son. And, you know, the fact that he was so badly out of form and yet he was still still starting right up until this weekend was evidence of, the, of, of this status that he's gained where he was just basically undroppable. Um, and I thought, you know, for him to come on and do that yesterday, it just... It, it's everything Pete was saying about him just proving a point and, and that. And, like, the most surprising thing I thought about it, watching it back, was how after every single one of those goals he scored you looked at his face and he was just kind of a blank face and I'm so used everyone's so used to seeing Son be this happy smiling character you felt like that was a guy that was out there really with he was out there to prove something and not necessarily that he was unhappy at being dropped or anything like that I think the way he spoke afterwards you could tell that he knows he's not been up to standard so far but that was him really proving his point that yes this is the guy that won was the joint uh, winner of the golden boot last season he is um, a world-class player, a world-class finisher, and he hasn't reflected that so far this season. But that's exactly what he did yesterday, and it was just a hugely impressive, like, 15 minutes um, of absolute destruction from from one of the best players in the league. From the positivity of Song Hyung Min to the misery of Brendan Rodgers, Pete, because it doesn't look good for Rodgers. We're not going to lie. Moving into the international break, seven Premier League games, one point, and obviously no Premier League wins so far this season. He's issued a bit of a fighting message. He said that he will battle on. He's not going to walk away from the situation at Leicester, but this looks as if it's just waiting to be done. Do you expect Brendan Rodgers to be gone by the end of the international break? Why? I mean, it's incredible how how far his stock has fallen. It wasn't so long ago that we were writing stories about, uh, you know, him being linked with United, being linked with Arsenal, being linked with many other, you know, other big jobs because of the the work that he's done at Leicester and, and with, you know, limited um, limited means. He's you know got them winning trophies and he's got them. Um, high, higher up the table than you know the, the, they perhaps should have done but now I mean I, I said this at the start of the season I, I I felt that especially given that they had no money to spend you know they spent the money on um, on the training ground and infrastructure um, he'd taken the club as far as he could anyway like what was what what did he think was going to happen this season really like even if they had a really good season considering how how much other teams have strengthened um 
in and around the top top six, top eight, what would be a good season for Leicester now? And the, his problem was is that with the United's job filled and Arteta now producing the goods at Arsenal, there wasn't really a job for him to go to. Uh, in England with uh, and, uh, Conte doing so, so well at Spurs. So there wasn't an opportunity for him to move up. So he's, he was in a bit of a quandary at the start of the season, but nobody could have foreseen that the uh, the season would go this badly. It's There's still a lot of talented players. Yes, they didn't spend any money. Um, they've lost some big players as well. Uh, Infofano especially is a, is a big loss to them at the back. Um, but there's still some really talented players in there. And for sort of 60 minutes, 70 minutes against Spurs, they were well in the game and they could have easily gone on to get a result. But the way things are going now, as soon as you start conceding goals, more goals conceded from set, set pieces, which has been the problem for a long time, heads are going to drop and they, and they just fell off a cliff, really. And now I, I, just, I can't see him being in the job by, um, by the end of the uh, international uh, break and I can't see where he goes from here because his stock has fallen now that he's not going to get the he's not going to get a big job next he's not going to get a, say the Spurs job come available he's not going to get that uh, or Arteta fails and or Arsenal, he's not going to get that so he'd have to he'd have to maybe go at the same level again or a lower um, a lower ranking Premier League side which is a shame which is a shame really for him because he's a very talented coach and he's done an excellent job at Leicester but this this really poor start um, and it has been an absolutely horrific start could really tarnish his image. Mark, I just want to get your take on this before we move on to Man City because Brendan Rodgers, again, in his post-match press conference, he didn't call out the players, but he effectively said individual mistakes and, and a lack of bravery, particularly in one-on-one situations, has cost us. And there was mistakes littered through this performance that allowed Spurs to, to take Leicester to the cleaners. And he's obviously, as I mentioned before, he said that he'll fight on and he understands the frustration of the supporters. As Pete said, rewind not so long ago and he was being linked with the Manchester United job and potentially Arsenal if things haven't gone as well as it is with, with Mikel Arteta. Where do you think the the ultimate responsibility lies here? Rogers is fronting up and saying, I take full responsibility. But this is a group of players that are letting him down, letting the supporters down in some of the most basic aspects. We can talk about him getting his head turned, but there's performances from players here, talented players, as Pete said, that are just not Premier League level? Um, well, I mean, in a situation like this, we, we know Leicester, Pete's outlined the kind of pedigree and what they managed to do uh, in the couple of seasons before the last one where they were up challenging for Champions League places. We know the, the standard of this group. We know the standard of manager that Brendan Rodgers is and it's much better than this on a showing. I would say if you're trying to look for a responsibility and place it somewhere, um, it probably has to go to... It's, it's difficult, really. I think... You know, the the murmurs all summer basically have been that there hasn't been the investment. They took so long. They were the, for so long they were the only club in Europe not to have made an actual uh, paid money for a signing. Then they got in we, this this phase defender, weep phase for the in on the last day. Um, so you're tempted to say perhaps you need to look at the board, but then Leicester's success over the last few years had always been based around bringing in players for lower value and selling one on and you know whether it was Kante whether it was Maguire um, different players in the past they've moved gone on to bigger things they've been able to use that money reinvest it and put it into the squad and then the season the summer before the last one just gone was the only, the first time where they hadn't managed to get one of those big deals over the line and that has a huge impact on everything else that goes on at the club what the club can do financially um, the expectations the limitations that you have to set and I think that is what is ultimately caught up with them. There was that lack of investment this summer. Um, 
perhaps you know we've seen before in Brendan Rodgers' career, particularly at Liverpool, he, he, there is a, sometimes a tendency where things tend to go a little bit stale a, a couple of seasons in, and maybe those two things just aligned, and it's 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 come at the wrong time for all parties involved. And now you're really looking at it, and I can't see anything other than than him. The, the way he was talking about it yesterday, you know, he'll respect whatever decision comes. That usually means there's a decision coming and the decision usually isn't a good one for the manager. So, I mean, we'll see whether they can, he, he can survive the next two weeks. But an international break is a great time to, to look for a change because you've got that time to look for a successor. So, yeah, for, <laughs> from here, judging from the outside, it would be a surprise if he's still in, in place by the time we, uh, we resume in October. Yeah, and a name that I think is going to come up a little bit later on as the current favourite to succeed Brendan Rodgers is Sean Dyche. He's the comfortable favourite as it stands. But we're going to move on to uh, Wolves against Manchester City. Routine stuff, Pete, really for Pep Guardiola. Three goals and three points and routine as well for Erling Haaland getting himself on the score sheet. He's up to 11 Premier League goals now, 14 in all competitions. So instead of the usual Haaland focus, I want to talk about Jack Grealish because this was an important performance from Grealish. First goal of the season inside 60 seconds. He was getting loads of grief off the Wolves fans right from the start. And in usual Grealish style, he was given a bit back. He then found himself on the end of a karate kick from Nathan Collins, got himself up, turned in a really good performance. And after the game, he, he was very honest in his post-match. He said he understands the pressure and there's always going to be questions because of the money that was spent on him. And you're looking at a situation with the World Cup not so long away. Obviously, Manchester City fans want him firing on all cylinders as they push for domestic honours. But... Do you see a little bit of a corner being turned? Going back to the Dortmund game in midweek, he looked annoyed, he looked frustrated. And there is certain lingering doubts over Jack Grealish in terms of, is he an absolute first choice pick for Pep Guardiola? But performances like this do remind the quality that he's got. Yeah, uh, look, I mean, (laughs) Pep Guardiola improves footballers. That's what he does. That's what he's best at. Uh, There isn't a player that's gone to City that hasn't improved under him. And and when everyone was calling... Uh, he can still he can still do it when he needs to um, when okay. he's still called upon or he's at the age of 55 whatever old he, however old mm-hmm. he is um, but he he know he, look, he, when when he signs a player and goes and goes so big on a player he sees something like you know everyone when John Stones first joined and, and you know he, he misplaced a few passes I was like oh god you know Pep Guardiola's got this one wrong and it turns out he didn't and I, everyone's everyone loves to jump on Pep if if because he doesn't get things wrong very often, you know. And what what better way to jump on him than you know a, a hundred million pound footballer that went wrong? Um, it, last season it 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 didn't work, but they didn't need him. Like like City is so good that they didn't need a hundred million pound player. He was he was fifth choice, and they you know they won the league. It's it, it all was fine. So this year this year was always going to be his big year, and and I think Pep knows that knew that coming into the season knew that. Um, he he was going to give Grealish plenty of chances, and he has, and he and he's continued to give him plenty of chances. And eventually, a player of his natural ability, once you're training with with the City, who who was so, who have taken excellence to such an extreme that it's almost robotic how how how, how perfect they are in every way. If you're training with these these players every week and you're looking at players and you say, oh, this is what I have to do to be at this level. This is how I have to train. This is how I have to look after myself, blah, blah, blah. Grealish will get there eventually. Anyone will get there eventually. 
but Grealish has got the ability. He perhaps just needed to get his head in the game and realise this is what I have to do. This is how I have to act like everyone else around me, like a like a perfect lab robot, lab you know lab made footballer. It's just it's so the so well so well organised and what's a well oiled unit. Then if I start to act like this, then with my ability the goals and the form will come. I think we're starting to see that now. And I think that was always going to happen. It was always going to, when you come into a team that's so good like that, he's not going to come in and start every week. When you've got all these, no matter how much it cost, he was never going to walk into the team. He was never going to be the guy that City went to, you know, if they needed somebody to drag them out of a, a, a out of a, a, out of a conundrum, they, they, it was never going to go to Grealish. It was, it was always going to be Kevin De Bruyne. It was always going to be other, other established players. Now the responsibility is going to get more and more on him, and because, but now he's part of this unit and been part of this unit for so long. Realise what he has to do. Been training with Pep every day, and Pep likes him as well, which is which is, which is important. Then it, it will come. It will come, and he's got the ability. It will come, and it's starting to now. Before we take a break, Mark, I've just got to ask you. Pete mentioned about fans and media jumping on Jack Grealish. Nathan Collins definitely jumped on him <laughs> in the first half and got himself a red card. <laughs> I want to ask you, on the bad tackle ometer even Nigel De Jong was having a bit of a tongue-in-cheek joke about this on Twitter, on the bad tackle ometer nobody, and I, I follow a lot of Ireland fans on Twitter who were having a little bit of a joke of how he was doing this for the boys in green against Grealish. No one's excusing this. It was a terrible tackle and a deserved red card. But where do you rank this? There's been some shocking tackles down the year in the Premier League. Is this up there? Oh, um, are we just talking Premier League? I guess... Maybe like it's like a nine well, point Sunday, five. Well, Sunday league maybe. Sunday. Well, <laughs> my my knowledge doesn't extend that far to the Sunday league, but I'm sure there's a few uh, rough ones down there as well. I don't know Premier League. I'm thinking like, um, I mean, I don't know if Cantona on the Palace fan would count, but it was it was similar in vain to that, wasn't Keen, it? I don't Keen know. Keen on Haaland senior. Keen on Haaland is the other is the one. Yeah, yeah. I, I always think with bad tackles going outside the Premier League, you always think of. Um, Schumacher bites on at the at the Germany France one at the World Cup in the eighties where the bloke loses two teeth and breaks part of his spine and you know that's if that's a ten this was maybe um, a seven point five something like that maybe I don't know it it was it looked really bad and it looked worse but on on the on the replay but I don't think it was it was it wasn't premeditated I think that much was clear and Grealish was up and okay afterwards so. You know, it was bad, and yeah, I winced after I saw the replay, but um, not quite at kind of Keen Harlan levels just yet. I don't think. No, seven out of uh, seven point five out of ten, even from the judges here at the Football Social Daily. Right, we're going to take a quick break. After the break, we're switching our attention to issues down the bottom and towards the Champions League places. Nottingham Forest 2, Fulham 3 and Brentford nil. Arsenal 3. Steve Cooper, the latest manager under pressure and Arsenal have got a new teenage sensation. All that to come after the break. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. 
Welcome back to Sunday night's edition of the Football Social Daily. Just a quick reminder, as part of a new project this season, we are doing Football Social Daily shots. So that means every day we're producing a mini podcast, wrapping up breaking news, covering Premier League results, transfer gossip, the whole nine yards. So if you want to check out the early podcast or the evening podcast in between, we've got Football Social Daily shots just to make sure that you're kept topped up. Right, let's move on. Uh, Nottingham Forest 2, Fulham 3. Pete, a Friday night cracker and probably a sign of their respective starts to the season. Forest, we're joking about all these players that they've signed. They've signed over 20 new players. All of them are keen to impress. Steve Cooper's got to find a way to get them all into the team. Whereas Fulham, and in fairness to them, maybe no one expected this at the start of the season, calmer, more resilient, more organised. They deserve this win. And Cooper, we talked about Brendan Rodgers before the break. We're going to talk about Gerard and Lampard a little bit later on. Steve Cooper's on that list of managers under pressure. He spent a huge amount of money on a wild amount of players and nothing really seems to be clicking. I mean, it's obvious to say, isn't it? But it, it, this was always going to happen, wasn't it? Like when, And Steve Cooper, he was, he was very honest in, his, in a lot of his early press conferences. He was like, because they had so many lone players, loanees last year, there was always going to be a big number. I don't think. I don't think even he thought there was going to be this level of of, of um, influx of players at the club. But there was always going to be ten, eleven, twelve signings to replace that. I think they had six, six or seven loanees on, on players that had left on a on a free transfer. So it was always going to be, uh, you know, it was always going to be in a state of flux at the start of the, at the start of the season. But I mean, it's the manner and the the way that they're doing it, isn't it? Um, you know against newly promoted Bournemouth against newly promoted Fulham they could easily and should perhaps have come away with at least a point in both of those games but to uh, you know sorry to come away with a victory in, in those games at home um, going in front against against Fulham you you know on a, a, at home you, you'd like to think you'd go on to win that um, but I think th- you said at the start and I, 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 th- I think there's, it's certainly true no one saw this coming um, with Fulham, you know, I, I for one, I looked at their transfer incomings in the summer and thought of, I thought it was a bit unflattering, really. Um, you know, players that um, perhaps other clubs wouldn't necessarily have gone for, but it's it's working a treat. And you know, eleven points so far, the joint the joint second best start to a Premier League season is phenomenal really um, again no one saw coming but Forrest it's going to take time um, but it's, it's, it's so difficult on that first season back in the Premier League and um, he's not how do you, how on earth do you know your, your, your first uh, your best 11 when you've got this squad of, of players because it's not it's not all players that he necessarily signed um, it's a bit it's, it, it's, it's, it's a bit of a um, an odd setup at, at Forest that you know got a meddling owner and um, who's perhaps buying players that he he thinks the club needs rather than the manager and um, you know there's all these players coming in that you're not necessarily know anything about and you're playing three games a week in, at the moment um, it's it's so so difficult a, a great time to have two weeks off now have a little regroup and and, and try and get to know some of your players. And we, we're kind of laughing about this, Mark, but it, it is crazy the amount of players they've signed. And for me, one of the most standout stats on this is seven Premier League games played so far. There's only four Forest players that have started all seven. And one of them is the goalkeeper, Dean Henderson. Steve Cooper might not 
be allowed to get a chance to know these players' names or know his best eleven because only Leicester have been worse than them so far this season. They're second bottom, four points from seven games. He won't be protected long by this idea of he needs to bed into the Premier League, the players need to bed into Forest because the old cliche of the Premier League is a results business and the owner has shown in the past that he's not afraid to make decisive decisions. Yeah, I think um, both of you feel really well, to be honest. I think the, the last point there about Marinakis, the owner, I mean, he's just not the most patient of, of, of businessmen, I don't think. And um, he'll be he'll be looking at that. He's got previous, um, obviously, being in control of Olympiacos as well, where he's got rid of managers even after winning the league title the year before. So he's not going to be he's not going to be sympathetic or. Um, particularly emotional about the fact that that Cooper has got Forrest into this position but then I think that you know that would be out of step with the the supporters um it would be out of step with the rest of the club probably because um what he managed to do is a year ago this week I think that he went in there and they were bottom of the championship and then they were promoted and promoted you know not just impressively I'd say because they were you know if you took from when he took charge to the end of the season they were I think they were they would have finished top of the league on the, on the on the points they were collecting. So the job that he did with the squad last season squad, I think, still needs to be held in 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 a very high regard. Um, and then Pete's nailed it, I think, on the point about you know how many of the signings are actually his. I think you, the stat there about the number of players that he's changed in the lineup it speaks to the fact that he's got a few that he trusts on and he's got a few that he kept, came in this summer that he wanted, but then others, um, you know, they're, they're, they're signed big, big name players. I'm thinking like Froilo, who was, um, he was, he was the captain at Atalanta last season. Uh, I know he started the other night, but then he's not played in certain other games. Um, you've got quite a few there who've come in and for a game and gone out. And you just you wonder, is this the manager's signing or was, was this put upon him by somebody higher up at the club? And, um, you know, look, when 21 players come in in one summer, it, it looks really great. It looks flashy. It looks like we're spending loads of money and we're making a stab at this. But you lose that continuity and that's what Forrest is suffering from at the moment. And I hope that, I, I think Cooper's a really talented coach and I would hope that, you know, Marinakis and the other people at Forest see that as well, and and let him get to work with the squad of players that he wants because um, because at the minute it's just it's just a bit of a mess. Uh, moving on to another three goals and three points, Brentford nil, Arsenal three. This was the Sunday morning rearranged fixture, Pete. The big talking point before this game was Arsenal needing to bounce back from losing against Manchester United last time out in the Premier League, and they definitely did that. Goals for William Saliba. William Saliba, Gabriel Jesus and a first Arsenal goal for Fabio Vieira. We're going to talk about Vieira a little bit in just a second, but this was a result that was needed. Arteta, Arsenal, the questions are never far away. As an Arsenal fan, I know that all too well. Brentford are painted maybe a little bit unfairly as this team that have got the skills to unsettle so-called bigger sides or sides that want to play a certain brand of football. And Arsenal proved that they can do it a bit of both. They can match what Brentford can do. And the enduring class, particularly of Jesus and Vieira, was enough to get them the win. Yeah, it's a strange game, this, because, you know, on paper it looked like a really tough game for Arsenal. But I think um, Brentford players were already planning their boozy brunches in Dubai, weren't they? Like there, were no, there was no interest in them uh, getting trying to get back into the game. Um, against Arsenal, as soon as that first goal went in, yeah, it, it was there was no always going to be one winner. And it's been a 
a fantastic start for Arsenal. Um, some, I would say, you know, some gambles in the transfer window, really. Um, but they've paid off handsomely. Ga- Sign Pep Guardiola players. That's the <laughs> that's the way to go because they just they they just they just bred a bit differently, aren't they? And and, and uh, I, I sort of I, I, a colleague was telling me about you know from from speaking to people at Arsenal about how he's how Jesus especially has has helped sort of raise the standards around the place, and and he's doing it on the pitch as well and. Um, at City, he was you know he was moved all over the place because he was so versatile. But you you are seeing why he's you know Brazil's number number nine through the middle um, f- for Arsenal, and it's, it's been a fantastic start. And ev- everything's going so well for them. And ev- you know ev- literally everything is you know Saliba coming back in after being cast aside for so long, going out on loan, and was he gonna was he ever gonna get his chance to uh, you know kickstart his have a proper Arsenal career? Um, and he looks absolutely phenomenal as well. Um, it, it couldn't it couldn't be going better really for Arsenal because even that United game, um, they could easily have won that. They could easily have gone the other way. Had that Odegaard had that had that Odegaard foul in the, for Martinelli's early goal, um, not have been overturned on VAR, um, and they had chances throughout the game. And it was it was a, on another day they could have easily won that, and they'd be you know well clear at the top of the league. So. To go top the to to go top the league above this supreme city side, um, even at even at this stage of the season is is pretty good going, and Arteta cannot it cannot have gone any better for him. Uh, just want to pick out one key performance, Mark. Arsenal have been searching for the new Vieira for years, and they just went and got themselves a different Vieira. And Fabio Vieira couldn't be more different than Patrick Vieira in terms of the way he plays. First Premier League start for him today, and a first Arsenal goal. There's a lot of focus on the players that Arsenal have in that front four, Saka, Martinelli, Erdegaard, Jesus, Emil Smith-Rowe. They're, they're well-stocked, but Fabio Vieira could genuinely offer something a bit different to those players, and particularly with the demands of playing in the Europa League, the domestic cups when they come into, into four in the next few weeks and months. You need squad depth, and that's something that Arsenal have been lacking for the last few seasons. Vieira comes in with fairly proven quality from Porto, and he looks a real find from Arteta. 100% I think um, you know we're not seeing too much of him just yet because he came on at Old Trafford and then he's had that Europa League game as well he's had to wait for his opportunity um, and look I mean his goal today was was brilliant I don't know how many of them he's going to score every week from that range but um, you know they look nice when they go in those ones and well whether or not he can really I, I, I guess the question is you, you speak about that front four whether he can displace Erdegaard and I don't think he would because not only is Erdegaard the captain now but he's he's Perhaps probably Arsenal's most important player, especially in that in that front six, if you like. Um, so, you know, I don't see him perhaps starting games after games after this once Erdogan's back. But you're right about the depth that they've got now. That if he's out, Vieira can come in. Um, you know, they're not, and in other positions as well, they're not relying on Enketia up front like they were at the back end of last season. But he's still a decent backup for G- Jesus. Um, Tierney and Zinchenko at left back Zinchenko could come into midfield you've got Saliba back now as well it just feels like a much stronger unit that Arsenal have got there that they can pull out people out of, out of reserve and um, it doesn't really change that much at the level of quality in the lineup. and um, you know they're even bringing 15 year olds on today as <laughs> as, um, as as we saw um, I thought that was going to be the moment where do you know you know you always have that moment where you realise the first Premier League player who was uh, younger than you 
you know, when you're you you relatively you're about seventeen, yeah. eighteen, then you realise that there's people your age doing this. I thought that kid today would be the first Premier League player to have been born after I left school, but it turns out I've got about two months on him still, so I'm still holding out on that front. But still, you know, it's a reminder that um, time waits for no man, as they say. It's quite scary. It does indeed. It's, it's a terrifying thought. Pete, I've got to ask you about this because it, it is a, a cracking piece of trivia that is probably going to stay as a record for a while. Um, 15-year-old Ethan Nwanuri is the youngest player to ever play a Premier League game. 15 years old and 181 days. He makes Harvey Elliott look like an old man. He was the previous record holder 16 years and 30 days when he turned out for Fulham back in 2019. Whether or not we see much more of this young man this season, it almost doesn't matter. He's got this mad record to his name. The Arsenal fans were singing, he's got school in the morning, and he does. He's got the serious business of his GCSEs to be to be focusing on. But this is a bit of a mad one, but Arteta I could rely on him. If he's good enough to be in a, a first-team matchday squad, there's the FA Cup, there's the EFL Cup to factor in. The fact that he's 15 clearly doesn't seem to bother Arteta. I mean, you always get these these players that, you know, obviously it goes up and up, doesn't it? But like, born in, you know, anything after the turn of the century, like, oh God, and then it's born in 2002, one 2003, one 2004. But now we're getting, what, born in 2007. I think he's, the, the, the worst bit about this, I think he's perhaps the first Premier League player who whose parents uh, were, were uh, younger than me, which is, God... <laughs> I, I, oh, I don't know I don't know oh, I don't think it's possible that they could be <laughs> which is just absolutely horrific and, and has completely ruined my weekend um, I, I don't know if they are but it's, it's possible and which is just utterly depressing um, but it's I mean, he's he's been um, he's not he's not someone this is thrown in for the stat like he's been playing uh, he's been playing for the under 18 since he was 14 um, you know there's, there's, there's obviously talent there and it's ob- they're obviously got no qualms um about throwing him in um at a higher le- a higher higher level with you know with with fully grown adults um and it's it's evenly even just his little you know just the way he sort of carried himself today he didn't he didn't look like a nervous 15 year old did he i don't know there was some there was something about him and um just another another uh, feel good factor, and uh, uh, another feel good aspect to Arsenal, really. And uh, um, and why not? I mean, if he if he is good enough and he can and he can handle the pressure, which is obviously a huge part of it, then why not throw him in there? Yeah, I was terrified you were going to say something really cheesy like stay in school or or something like that. But uh, I think the way that his career <laughs> is going, uh, he he could be potentially a future Arsenal star. Right, terrifying thoughts all round about the aging process. So we're going to take a break and just uh, give ourselves a moment. After the break, we're going to be wrapping up the final three games of the Premier League weekend. Wins for Steven Gerrard and Frank Lampard and a draw for Eddie Howe against his former side, Bournemouth. All that to come in a sec. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Welcome back to the Premier League weekend review show here on the Football Social Daily. Less games this weekend, but no reduction in talking points. So we're going to wrap up the final three matches of the weekend. Pete, I'm going to go to you first on Newcastle against Bournemouth. A one-all draw. And 
Both managers, in a way, maybe justifiably aggrieved not to win. Newcastle gave the woodwork a bit of a rattling. Neto made some really important saves. But Bournemouth carried out Gary O'Neill's plan to a T. Bed in, stay organised, look to work on the break. If you get a chance, make sure you take it. And given the fact that they were in front going into the closing stages, it's always frustrating, even if you're not the favourites to win a game and you're away from home, to, to throw away or lose a lead in the final stages. So both managers probably just have to hold their hands up and say a draw on balance. Newcastle couldn't finish the chances and Bournemouth couldn't quite just about hold out to get the win. Yeah, and um, Bournemouth especially will be will be particularly pleased, uh, you know, given the given the, the the potential that Newcastle have got. Although they've drawn a lot of games this season, Newcastle, and um, it's not perhaps as you know. When you, I don't know why it, see, it seems that they've had a better start. I, I just I just thought they had a better start. But when you look at all the results back, you know, there's there's a lot of draws in there, and and the. It's not perhaps as, as good a start to the season as they'd hoped, um, given the, the 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 quality they've got in there, um, and perhaps the performances have, have warranted. Um, and Bournemouth, and uh, again, a bit like Fulham in a way, they're getting. You know, I was at Anfield for that absolute massacre um, a, a few weeks ago, and I, that could easily have been 10, 11, 12 nil. It was. It was. It was it was really a difficult. It was a really tough watch, really, and you know they got absolutely battered at, at, at City as well, and you know real mor- da- damage, you know morale damaging defeats. But they they've gone and got results elsewhere, and they're not doing too badly, and then that's sort of gone under the radar really because you only remember the bad, you know, you remember the heavy defeats, and um, fair play to them, you know, and it's not it's no easy task going up there playing against the you know manager. Um, with a with a, a striker who wants to who, who wants to make an impression on uh, on his uh, on on the new on the new new on his new supporters, so it's a it's a great result and 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 fair play to them to you know I I saw how badly organised they were at, at at Liverpool to go up there and and to and to to shut Newcastle out for long periods is is um, is very commendable indeed. Quickly on Gary O'Neill, Mark, I just want to ask, he's had three games after Scott Parker got sacked and he's unbeaten as it stands. Five points from those three matches, two draws and a win. He's nudged himself just above Sean Dyche as the favourite to be um, Bournemouth manager for the rest of the season. So Sean Dyche is, is a popular feature on the show at the minute. When anyone gets sacked, his name's always getting mentioned. But Gary O'Neill gave the standard response when he was asked in his press conference of he's just taking it one game at a time, it's the club's decision, etc, etc. But... Bournemouth might look at this and go, as long as we're solid, as long as we stay in the Premier League, he's not a bad option. But could that be a dangerous game to play? Um, look, I think <laughs> there's there's some high-profile examples, I think, of, of caretaker managers taking a job and then not being fully qualified for it over the last few years, I think. So um, I think, <laughs> I think um, look... It's been three games, and they're really the, the response to to the nine uh, nil. You can only give them credit for that, um, especially getting you know the, the win at Forest is just huge because that's a point that really could they, they'll get dead and buried before that. But if you beat your rivals, especially away from home, that's the huge problem with Forest right now, and it's one thing that Bournemouth have actually done. So that's that's a huge like tick in this column if you were looking to to give him the permanent job. But I think three games they. They did. They played well at Newcastle yesterday, but I think 
Newcastle probably came away feeling like they they had the chances to take away to, to win basically and, and to take more from the game and it's just a really difficult job Bournemouth because the quality isn't really there in the squad there hasn't been the investment over the summer and so you know maybe they'll look at O'Neill and say that he's done a decent job for now and just maybe just give him the international break and, and see how he gets on after that but um, to be honest I I, I if I was the if I was in control of Bournemouth, if I was the owner, I would be looking to get somebody in with a proven track record of keeping teams in the division because it's it's a seriously hard job to keep them up this year. I think even even after these results. Right, final two games of the weekend, and again the focus, Pete, is on managers and potential manager departures. Everton won West Ham nil, first win of the Premier League season for Everton, and a first Everton goal for Neil Morpay. David Moyes back on his old stomping ground at Goodison Park. Frank Lampard has been talked about being under pressure over the last few weeks. This is a big win for him. He can probably breathe easy during the international break. But David Moyes is obviously an incredibly experienced manager, one of the most experienced Premier League managers ever. But he's not immune from pressure. I know from talking to Jim, the boss here at Sports Social, West Ham fans are starting to get a little bit restless about the direction that they're moving in, particularly on the back of last season. They just assume they just roll into another European challenge. Would you say Frank Lampard safe for now? David Moyes one to watch? Yeah, I think so. Um, it was a really poor game between two poor sides. Uh, this in, in in reality, and two sides low on confidence in need of victories, and it was always going to be one nil to somebody. Um, Lampard's safe, um, certainly safe for now. Um, I think they're pretty low expectations at Everton really after after last season and just sort of avoiding a relegation battle will be good enough for this year and then perhaps they can build on from there it's it's supporters Everton supporters haven't got any gripes with Lampard they've got gripes further up the chain uh, with the owner Mashiri and um and what have you so I, I don't think I certainly don't think Lampard is in any danger Moyes I don't think is particularly in any danger because you, what you remember you've got to remember about David Moyes is how long it took him to win over West Ham fans in the first place when he came in um, when he came in given uh, I think he came in from Sunderland I think before that and he hadn't done a particularly good job there and we were like and it didn't go well at the start it wasn't pretty football and you know he made some big calls, um, which which paid off. You know, moving Antonio up the pitch and things like that. Um, and it it did pay off, but but it was a it was a really tough initiation period for him, uh, and it took a it took a long time to to win over fans, and he's going to have to do that again. And and there's 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 few better managers. Uh, position to do that because he, you know, the chips have been down many, many times in his career, and he lo- he loves the battle, and he's got, the, he knows he's got the quality in the side now. A- again, you know, a bit like not like on obviously nothing like on Forest level, but there's a fair few incomings um, that need settling in from big money signings um, that could could easily come good. Uh, just need a bit of time to bed in. A great time for the international break again for, for West Ham. Bit of a bit of a regroup and start again. It's it's always so difficult when you when you're following up a successful season like they had last year. You know how do you 
how, how do you how do you, when you're West Ham and all you know other other clubs around you are spending so much money as well it's so difficult to match or even better what you do the year before and you know getting into Europe is not no easy task if you if you're doing it through the league and you've got to and you've got to finish in the top seven or, uh, or or whatever it may be when you think about the teams that you'd have to finish above that means you might have to finish above a Manchester United or or or, or a Tottenham or an Arsenal or something like that so it's it's so so difficult and um it's it's time for a regroup. I don't think he's in danger. I don't think he will be for a while. Um, but, it, you know, there's some big games coming up in October. It's a big month for him in October. And, and get up to the World Cup and, and, and see where they are. But I don't think he's in danger for now. Final game of the weekend, Mark. Aston Villa won, Southampton nil. Anything Frank Lampard can do, Steven Gerrard can do equally the same. Real candidate for the worst game of the season so far. But... Gerard and Villa, they seem to be fighting the tide after a poor start. Four points from two, obviously drawing with Manchester City before the cancellations from, from last weekend. But he's also under the pressure of this idea that he has spent quite a bit of money over the summer. He will be given a bit of time. He did do relatively well with them last season, but he's not immune from any of this. And then in the opposite dugout, you've got Ralph Hasenhutl. He's now up to third in the most likely Premier League manager to be sacked next. Southampton looks stale and look like they need a refresh as well. Yeah, I mean, you said it was possibly the poorest game of the season so far. I think even John McGinn said afterwards that if he was watching it, he would have turned it off. So um, I, that's not really a ringing endorsement. <laughs> um, Villa, uh, yeah, all you can do when, they, you, when you're in the situation that Villa were in a few weeks back, all you can really do is just knuckle down and try and grind out a few results, and that's what they're doing. I mean, the, the draw with City... And then, and then this one on on Friday Friday night. I don't think it was a particularly like impressive performance that would give you much optimism that a, ter- a corner's been turned or anything like that. But there are little signs. Um, you know, Coutinho no goal or assist though, but he, he he looked more lively than he has in the in the last few games. Um, he's if if they can if Gerard can get the best out of him, he's been a bit of an enigma so far at Villa. But if if they can get the best out of him, then that's maybe a route to to get him further up the table. Um, so it's just little like building blocks, those those small things that you see him come together that you hope um, will lead to a more sustainable like turn of form. And then Southampton, I mean. There was a there was a bit of upheaval with Southampton. You know, you say about Gerard, he lost uh, Michael Beale obviously to QPR. There was a bit of upheaval at Southampton as well, where a lot of um, Hasenhutl's staff left. It's felt like he's been on the precipice for a while now, but because there's a lot changing at the club, um, they had you know there was all the business this summer, if you like, was was focused on buying players for the future. It was raiding City's academy with the uh, with the head recruitment that they got from there. And, and looking at what comes next rather than necessarily planning for the present. And so I think if you're Southampton this season, if you stay up, that's an achievement. And it's it's a shame because it used to be really one of the best run clubs in the league and the aspirations used to be a bit higher than that. But they've been like that for a few seasons now. And I think that's kind of where Southampton are at the minute, that if they're third, fourth, bottom and just about got their head above water, then... then they're doing an okay job and they look forward to potentially better things down the line when these young players come and develop the potential. Yeah, I think it's fair to say the chopping block will be out across the Premier League during the international break, but who will be going and who will be staying is the big, big question. We're going to call it there for tonight's edition of the Football Social Daily. Pete, Mark, thanks for your time. 
Thank Cheers, Virgil. Appreciate it. Great stuff, guys. The team will be back tomorrow. Obviously, we are rolling right the way through the international break. Monday means moan day, so the guys will be getting their will be getting their teeth stuck into what has upset them over the weekend and building up to the final round of UEFA Nations League games. So don't forget to check it out. Hit subscribe up the top, and you can get access to a brand new show as soon as it is ready. Bye for now. Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode.